Did you want to go in order? Uh, well, I don't have it in, like, chronological order. Oh. I My notes aren't in chronological order. I took notes as I went. So all mine are. Okay. I tried, but that didn't really end up working out that way. Um, I, I mean, I wanted I wanted to start with maybe, like, possible criticisms of the book. Okay. And just get that out of the way first, and then we can go into just, like, general stuff. Before I think you get to criticism, you have to, like, introduce things. Right. So, welcome to the Bookish Things podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Eric. <laughs> this is going to be dead silence. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought you were doing a great job. Keep going. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, uh, criticisms... Uh, a lot of people give the criticism that the characters aren't likable. Great Gatsby. This is we're doing the Great Gatsby for the first episode. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people give uh, the criticism that the characters aren't likable, mm-hmm. um, but they're not meant to be likable. That's intentional, right? They're intentionally not likable, and uh, and in a book, the quality of a book isn't dependent upon how likable the characters are. Uh, it's more dependent upon like how well written they are, how interesting, compelling, complex. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I think, I mean, you see it a lot with TV and movies and stuff now that there aren't necessarily, there doesn't necessarily need to be likable characters. I guess a character is good if you can relate to it. That's what's important, is if you can see some of yourself in them. And I think that's why the characters in this book are important and why the book is important, because you're supposed to see yourself in these people that are nothing but terrible things. And it's supposed to make you see, like, okay, I associate with these people, and I kind of hate myself for associating with these people. Confront the the worst sides of yourself. Right, because I think, depending on who reads the book, you see yourself in different characters. Maybe you see yourself as Nick, the narrator, or, I mean, I've read this book probably six or eight times since... High school, which was probably the first time I had to read it, and pretty much every time I've always, like, pretty much taken the side of Gatsby. And I think it's an easy thing to do. Like, he's got a lavish lifestyle, he's cool. It's really easy to relate to wanting something and not being able to get it. But then, as you continue through the book and see the flaws in these characters, you start to realize these are the exact same flaws in yourself. And that that's kind of. In my mind, that's kind of the purpose of these unlikable characters, are to show the reader that you have within you at least elements of the same thing. And you're really not going to like the things that necessarily are like kind of deep down in your personality. Yeah, I think it's, it's as a genre, it's realist, right? So realist doesn't mean that the characters are likable. Right. Yeah. Realist means that the characters are are real, which means they have flaws. Uh, yeah. Other. What are other critics? Is there any criticism that you would point out? Like I know, I think I read that like Fitzgerald himself intentionally left descriptions of Gatsby as vague on purpose so that there would be some like mystery around him. Yeah. Not just no, not what he does, but also like his appearance too. I've read yeah stuff like that too. Um, so that's intentional on his part. Right. Um, I know he, like, Fitzgerald himself, he wasn't too great with, like, time. And he wasn't too great with, like, geography as, as a writer. So, like, or just in general, he wasn't, mm-hmm. like, too great with geography. So, um, 
like those are things that like like the timeline of the book is maybe a bit weird like all of this takes place over the course of like a summer but you don't know exactly how long right he does a lot of like vague passes of time from like a few like a few weeks ago or a few days ago it's it's definitely hard to track down i was taking notes on that as i read that i think for the first time since i like started reading this book it really hit me how vague all the time is I think in the very intro, when Nick is kind of introducing himself and the story and the time, he's talking about it from the past, but he comments that it was just a summer that of his life when he met Gatsby. But the way it jumps around, like, it doesn't feel like just a summer. Like, you feel like it could take place in a week or over the course of a couple of years. It's, it's interesting. I thought, I liked um, what you were saying about vague characters, like for Gatsby. I know I've read stuff online about the vagueness of his character, like, in terms of appearance, and a lot of that stuff has led to, I guess we'd call them, like, fan theories kind of popping up that, like, I read a academic article that posited that, like, Gatsby was black because the only, like, real descriptions of him are, like, he has, like, short, dark hair and, like, tan skin. Like, that's really all you get from him. But... I don't think it changes anything that dramatically if he is. I don't think he was, because I think we would have seen some kind of, like, racist comment from Tom. Right. (laughs) If he was. But, yeah, no, I don't think it would change much if he was on on that kind of read. I mean, I think that you you might say, like, well, people like Tom kind of hate him. But the whole point of the story is that people like Tom hate him because he's new money. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the person he is. It's just that he doesn't come from wealth. Right. And so that's where all, like, the rumors about him start to come up. Um, The other kind of similar to, like, Gatsby might be black, like, major theory I've heard from a lot of people, which is also pretty popular, is that Nick is gay and in love with Gatsby. And I don't know if I would follow in love with Gatsby. I mean, possibly. But I think it's actually... I had that in mind when I started this reading, and it's pretty clear that Nick is gay. You think? I mean, there's a scene when they go... I think it's chapter two, when they go to um, a friend's apartment in the city, and they they get drunk, and Nick starts off by saying, I've only been drunk just twice in my life, and the second time was that afternoon. They introduce Mr. and Mrs. McKee, and my notes just say, Mr. McKee is... It just says, pale, feminine man, and he's a photographer. And then Mrs. McKee is just described as shrill, shrill, languid, handsome, and horrible. And they, as that little chunk of the afternoon progresses, it becomes night. Tom is there getting drunk with Myrtle. Right. And then there's like, it kind of blurs together, which makes sense from they're a, drunk. a drunk writer. Yeah, a narrator. And let me see if I can find it. Um, I know at one point they get up. At, at, Tom hits Myrtle. They are all drunk and laying around. And, oh, where is it? So... At some point, Nick gets up. He follows Mr. McKee out to the elevator. They have some weirdly suggestive dialogue. At one point, the elevator man says, keep your hand off the lever. (laughs) And then it fades back to Nick beside Mr. McKee's bed while he's in his underwear looking over his own photos. And then it immediately jumps to Penn Station... Like, him sleeping at, like, 4 a.m. Yeah, with no idea how he got home that night. Right. And so, you can't make many other assumptions than gay if Nick 
followed a man drunk out to his apartment just downstairs. And, and then... he, was, he was desperate to leave because they were getting in a domestic after Tom hit Myrtle. Right. And so he was drunk and there's no other reason really. I assume you wake up or you come to next to a man in his underwear in his bed. I, uh, I guess. Unless I mean, Mr. McKee was just like, let me get comfortable and yeah. then let me show you some photos. And then Nick was like, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's possible. I, I know that, like, the characters, uh, so, so, I mean, Daisy Buchanan is based off of Zella Fitzgerald's, uh, right. and, uh, Nick and, uh, Gatsby are based off of, um, like, two different sides of Fitzgerald. So maybe, I mean, the only character I've really identified with is, is Nick, and this is my fourth time reading the book. Yeah, I could see that read. He's intelligent, observant, and he doesn't seem too interested in, um, in, uh, what's her name? Jordan? Jordan, yeah, that yeah. much. It's, it's interesting, too, because also when reading about this stuff, he, um, he descri- the way he describes people as a narrator, he describes Tom in, like, almost a very strange kind of like almost like admiring way he talks about like how strong his like shoulders and arms look and it says that he like fills up like the boots he's wearing well he's just supposed to be like a very physical being right like he's a he's he's a jock he's he's muscular um he's like throwing nick around like he's some kind of rag doll he actually think the description he gives of, I also think that could be, uh, what do you think is the title for the episode? Is Gatsby Black and is Nick Gay? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I think the description he gives of Tom is actually like a sick burn. He basically says that he's an asshat who like peaked at 21. Right. And that's like the first and only description you well, you like get of Tom. Right. Um, but the, the description he gives of, of, of Gatsby by comparison is... I don't know, his his relationship with Gatsby is complicated, so and that makes our relationship with Gatsby complicated too. He doesn't quite trust him. Um, he thinks he's a little bit deceitful and conniving because he lies to him at first about what he does for a living and where he grew up and what his family like, what kind of family he's from. But at the same time, he also thinks of him as handsome and charming. Right. I think. At the, I mean, right from the jump of this story you pretty much know that Nick is probably one, like, an extremely unreliable narrator. Maybe one of the most, like, in literary history. And because, like, in that first paragraph where Nick is just talking and the the whole thing starts with all the people in the world haven't had the advantages you've had and things like that, he also, he says, uh, in consequence, I'm inclined to reserve all judgments and then spends the next 120 pages judging people he also uh, says a sense of the fundamental decencies is parceled out unequally at birth. And, I mean, besides being, like, really tough language to understand, he's basically saying that, like, not everybody is born the same. Some people are born just kind of like they don't, they don't fit well with people. And he says that he goes west. He's sick of being at school and that he wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. And finally, he says, Gatsby, who represented everything for which I have an unaffected scorn for. Like, he points out right at the beginning, 
I don't, he doesn't like the rich, he doesn't like the people who are, like, lavish, he doesn't want to be involved with people and money, so he goes, the reason he moves to New York is to start working after he finishes school at, like, a low-key firm and just kind of do his little work, live in his little house, and then just gets immediately wrapped up in this huge, like, lifestyle where his neighbors are crazy and they're having parties and, like, money and using people rather than, like, seeing them as people. He does, yeah. And I think Fitzgerald is writing about, like, his own conflicted relationship with, like, wealth and excess at that point. Um, but, yeah, he, he does. He does say that. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, you see that, too, like, when we were talking about him going to drink with Tom and Myrtle. He says, like, oh, I've, I've only been drunk twice in my life, and the second time was that afternoon. And then damn near, like, every other day that this book takes place... He's, like, having champagne with Gatsby or having whiskey with Tom. And, like, all he does is drink anytime he's, That's like, all all of them do. <laughs> which is true. And it's, I mean, like I said, he's just, he likes, I feel like the narrator, you really get a clear picture that the narrator is a character, not just, like, a camera lens. He is. And mm -hmm. that the narrator specifically is a complete liar. Like, he li he's one of these people that likes to think, like, oh, I came from wealth, but I'm different. I'm, I'm not the judgy type. I, I don't, I don't want to be a part of any of that. And then just immediately gets back into it. He does come off as somewhat judgmental about these people, but it's hard to think of anyone who wouldn't be judgmental of these people. I think he does a good job of at least keeping his judgments to himself in the reader. Kind of. I think there's... I mean, this is a book that, I mean, obviously the first thing you notice is the prose, and it's beautiful. I think there's a lot of things hidden in that prose. Like, we talked about, like, that weird encounter with Mr. McGee, McKee, and he, I feel like there's lots of little things hidden in there. At one point, there's, toward the beginning, there's a little mention that Nick had a girl who was possibly going to be his wife. He might have been engaged to her. And then he just moved away, and he remarks that he has to, like, oh, I've got to I've gotta call her and, like, tell her what happened. <laughs> Saying that, like, he pretty much just, like, got up and, like, ran off from a girl he was with. Right. Like, it really cements that, like, I guess, one, this narrator is definitely a part of this world, and, two, that there's nobody really good in this book. Like, I would say that every one of these characters, like, pretty much i mean i guess you could look at some little things but for the most part they don't have anything good in them like there's certain things that are admirable like gatsby like he doesn't use his money necessarily for evil but he's certainly wasting it away to just try to get something shallow yeah like tom and daisy are just awful people who don't care about anything Jordan is the same way. Nick is pretty much, for the most part, doesn't care about people. Like, I feel like the main thing that you see in all of these characters is just a complete, like, lack of humanity. It, they almost come across as sociopaths. Like, between the murders that happen, like, later in the book, and, like, there just doesn't seem to be any humanity in these characters. Yeah, I mean, they do, they do come across as careless. I mean, like, toward the end, which we'll probably get to in a bit, but after... The whole thing with Myrtle happens, and Tom eventually pretty much orders the killing of Gatsby by telling, uh, I don't remember the name of the mechanic, George, that, um, that it was Gatsby's car. After that, Nick sees him on the street one day and just 
Tom pretty much just says, like, oh, Gatsby fooled you, just like Daisy, and then moves on. Yeah. Like, absolutely no... Remorse. Remorse or anything. Doesn't care that his, like, long-term girlfriend died. Doesn't care that, like... Well, he talks about how he, he cried like a baby when he, like, went back to that apartment That's and had to... That's what he says. Enter. That's what he says, yeah. I wouldn't... I mean... I don't know. Yeah. It's it's just very clear that none of the... I mean, and it's one of the most, like, famous lines in the book that the whole... They were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and... Retreated back into their money or vast carelessness. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, like... I feel like that, more than anything, describes these characters. They're just careless. One of my favorite parts that I that I really picked up this read, too, was when Nick is driving with Jordan. At one point, he says, You're a rotten driver. You ought to be more careful. And she says... I am careful. And he says, no, you're not. And she says, well, other people are. He replies, what's that got to do with it? And she says, they'll keep out of my way. And he says, suppose you meet someone as careless as yourself. And she says, I hope I never will. I hate careless people. And it's just beautiful, beautiful hypocrisy. Like, she, she accepts that she's awful. She accepts that she doesn't, she doesn't care about people. She doesn't, like, certainly not while driving or doing anything in her life. And... Even when, like, completely faced with it, and is like, you are doing, like, an awful job, you don't care about these people, she just goes, nah, I don't, like, I, I don't really care about the people. And I, I think Nick kind of reacts to that in a strange way of, like, oh, man, what am I doing with this girl? But he's exactly the same way. Yeah. And I think she even comments, like, on it way later in the book when he basically calls to break up with her. And, yeah, he's exactly the same kind of person. That's what she tells him, yeah, that he's a careless driver. Yeah. Is, yeah. And that it's not... I, that Again, yeah, I guess it goes back to... Nick likes to think he's not this scumbag, but he's just as bad as everyone else. So this book, along with what, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, are cited as the American novels. Like, the great American novels. I guess I could see that. And for an American novel, this book, it's not about democracy it's not about freedom no it's not about i mean you can um, maybe freedom through money see i don't even think of like that like you could make that argument it's 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 not about uh equality it's about like de facto american aristocracy inequality and the limitations of like american social mobility yeah i guess that's true i mean i think that's kind of the point is that it, the book really strongly ties all of these care, careless, awful, like, sociopathic characters to money. And I think that's kind of the message you get from this book, is that the people with money, the people who mostly you're concerned with, they can afford to be careless because nothing they do matters. But the people that you see that don't have money, people like George and all the different people who live in, like, the Valley of Ashes... They actually have to deal with the consequences. And you see that even in just like the setting of the Valley of Ashes. The ashes are there because of their byproducts of all the in industry. Industrial revolution. Right. Yeah. And they're basically suffering and choking in these conditions because the people in Manhattan and the people in Long Island need fancy buildings and fancy houses. And so and every time they drive through there or they take the train through the Valley of Ashes, it's always just a dark sad scene of like nobody wants to be there 
but and then in between like the beautiful like colorful places like Manhattan and all the homes and the parties there's just this sad gray part in the right. middle and yeah I think that's the point that this to have such lavish lifestyles to have these crazy houses and to have these parties and to not care about people it does cost none of the characters think it costs anything of like oh I mean I'm just having parties no one's being hurt but there's constantly people being hurt and they're just they're so careless they don't even see that right yeah uh i think i would say gatsby comes off as maybe a bit more admirable than tom or daisy because he earned his wealth to some extent like he's a he's a bit of a rags to riches story he didn't inherit his money the way that tom and daisy did right um and that that's even though he earned his money kind of illegitimately illegally by by being a bootlegger mm -hmm. it still makes him like somewhat uh yeah more admirable i think through tom or through nick's perspective at least yeah and i guess that could go back to why does nick admire gatsby even though at the very beginning in the first chapter he says that he stands for everything that nick hates why is nick so fascinated with him the one thing he sounds he says he really admires about gatsby is his optimism Right, like, the, and right. so there's there's a kind of like American optimism that's at times probably just ignorant of reality, and you have that I think with uh, with Gatsby. I guess so. I think that's kind of also the central message. Like you said, it is an American novel, and I guess Gatsby is kind of set up to be that American dream. The idea that you can just start from nothing, start poor, and literally remake yourself to be whatever you want to be. And I think Fitzgerald's opinions on that are extremely clear because in the end, Gatsby is killed. And I think that, like, it's probably, like, the very first lesson you hear about this when you read it in high school, that The Great Gatsby is about the death of the American dream. It's the, yeah, the old money is going to continue to rule. It's going to continue to be careless, and it's going to continue to just kind of eat anything that gets into its way. And there's always going to be people like Tom and Daisy, and there's always going to be the rest of us who suffer in whatever kind of poverty we have. Yeah, I mean, American society, nearly a hundred years later, we still have that de facto American aristocracy that Tom and Daisy would be a part of. Um, I remember back in like 2008, we had the housing market crash, stock market crash, right. the Great Recession, right? And people were talking about, is the American dream dead? But nearly a hundred years before that, Fitzgerald had wrote that it had already died or it had become something extremely ugly, right? That it was, that it was a foul dust that preyed upon people mm -hmm. in the wake of their dreams and killed them. Yeah. Like, that, that the American dream kills Gatsby. The American dream is its excess and its uh, ugly and its um, greed and its enough money to buy expensive cars and all the whiskey you need to crash them all <laughs> exactly and it, i mean i guess the, beyond money those are the truly like american values it's it is strange to like read this and think this was literally a hundred years ago because if you took out a lot of the like little references to prohibition and world wars this could be a present-day novel there are still people living extreme lives of luxury, probably even more so these days. There's still careless people in parties and pretty much everything the book describes. It's 
I guess it's even like alarming now to think like where we are in 2017. Like we pretty much hit like the pinnacle of it, of celebrity and carelessness and like whatever the opposite of the American dream could be. Like I think I read a piece on probably the state or Slate or something that literally said with all the new administration and like executive orders and things coming out that like it just straight up said the American dream is dead. Like when we are not accepting people into the country, the American dream is dead. And it's just very odd like reading back to these things. I mean, I've read other th other things in history that say that America is simply an empire, and empires rise and they fall, and I guess it could be argued that even back in the 20s, you could see the fall coming, or that might have been the turning point, when we went from, I guess what you could call a meritocracy, to just complete, I guess, capitalistic ruin. <laughs> yeah, no, in that way, the book reads is very prophetic. Yeah, I, I would think so. And, I mean, I, I found the whole time when I was reading this, I read it in probably in two sittings, I think. You you told me that we were going to talk about this book, and I sat down at a local coffee shop for about four hours and read through probably 80% of it, and then the next day finished it up in about an hour. And I feel like the entire time I read it, the biggest thing I got from it was just sad. <laughs> and like I said, I guess it's because I've just been like now more than ever like reading these characters there's no one good here like the reason that the these characters are all unlikable criticism is bad isn't because it's not true like these the each character in this book you have excellent reasons to hate them but like i said at the beginning i think that's the kind of poignant part of the book is seeing them in yourself and seeing their world kind of reflected in ours. Like, it's... It's... I don't know how you could come away with anything but sadness from reading it. So is there is there an, any argument, and we can ask this question, I suppose, to the reader, uh, to the listeners as well, that this book in any way can be read as optimistic? Because to me, I wouldn't say that the book is pessimistic, but it is a sad read. I would say the book is realistic, but it is, it, it is de a depressing read. But I wouldn't say it's pessimistic. I guess so. I think that... I mean, it it does feel like a very realistic piece of literature. But once you get past the flowery prose, it nothing in it feels like something that couldn't happen. I mean, and in that way, I guess it does feel realistic. And that just kind of contributes to it feeling sad because you start to realize, like, this is realistic and the it's not the book that's sad it's like the world we live in that's sad like we still exist in this place this isn't like an incredibly like fantastical fiction it's pretty grounded yeah it is and so i think that's the part that's sad is that... not it's not reading about shitty people doing shitty things the sad part is realizing that a hundred years on people are still doing shitty things that was my biggest criticism of like the remake that they made in what was it 2015 oh with like leonardo dicaprio and stuff yeah is that it it seemed so many of the scenes visually with the production value were so fantastical that it didn't seem realist at all you forget that this was something that was supposed to be like taking place a hundred years ago right i mean the it, real it's, world. i feel like that's probably kind of something you just have 
in cinema is because it's such a visual medium, it's easy to take things and just be like, well, let's just make them as visually impressive as possible. But I would, I 100% agree. Like, that movie completely misses the mark. This is a dark, sad book about awful, awful people. Like, I don't think even you can show Gatsby as a protagonist. I don't think you can show Nick as a protagonist. Well, Nick, yeah, that's a good question. So, who is the protagonist in this book, Nick or Gatsby? I mean, the um, title of it is Gatsby. The Great Gatsby. I would say he's the protagonist, and I would say he's the hero in maybe, like, the Greek tragedy sense of a hero and that he's fatally flawed. Right. And I would say, you know, Nick is the narrator and a character, but not necessarily the the, the protagonist. I don't think there is the protagonist. Yeah, I, c I couldn't say that Nick's the protagonist. It seems like, I guess like you said earlier, Gatsby really is the only person that you could even kind of admire because he earned his money and he's not actively doing terrible things with it. He's obviously misguided and obsessed, but, I mean, that's kind of also what we see in ourselves and what we see in the American dream. And I think it's that obsession is supposed to kind of resemble the dream itself. And one of the questions that I had right when I finished the book, my, my last couple notes were some of the quotes of they were careless people and then um, that last one about beating on, born back ceaselessly into the past... But my last note just says, does Nick change? Because I kept thinking that through the whole thing. I thought, to have a good story, at least in the mythical sense, the hero's journey, you have to have a hero who starts somewhere, who experiences a new environment, who changes, and then who returns changed. And I don't think anyone in this book changes. I don't think so either. And here's the thing. For me, Nick is a surrogate for the readers and... Gatsby's life is a parable and it's a question of does L Nick learn from Gatsby's life as a parable and do the readers learn from Gatsby's life as a parable so for me I would say like the question of is Gatsby great there isn't there, there's only one answer that isn't completely like misinformed or uninformed or misguided or the result of lazy thinking it's it's yes and no Right. Yes, he's great in that he's a compelling, interesting character. Um, no, in that he's fatally flawed, right? He's He romanticizes the past. He's obsessed with reliving it. Hmm. Um, and there is a greatness in that there's a, a grandness in scale to the rise and fall of Jay Gatsby. Right. In the same way that empires that have risen and fallen are great. And, yeah, I guess that's sad. I liked what you are saying about it being parables of does Nick learn from Gatsby. We don't follow Nick afterward. It says that he eventually moved back to the Midwest because he was done with, the, with New York. But I don't, I don't think there's any indication in the book that either Gatsby's death affected him that much or that anything really inspired him to change who he is or how he lived. And so that was kind of the surprising thing to me, was to think back and think, no, Nick doesn't change. He's just as bad as everybody else. And I think that kind of goes back to the point of not liking characters. And you're not supposed to, and you're supposed to see yourself in them and not like that. I think the biggest reason for not liking these characters is how careless they are and how passive they are. 
But I think that's intentional. I think the book is written in a way that almost makes you one of the characters. Th through the whole thing, you're mad at Nick because he's just like watching these things happen and not doing anything. But at the same time, you're doing the exact same thing as a reader. You are just as much present as he is. And, I mean, you could physically put down a book at any time, but you don't. And so, even though bad things are happening, you continue to allow them to happen, basically. Just as Nick continues to allow them to happen. Yeah, when Nick talks about being both, what is it, within and without. Right. And he's... he's they're basically mostly just as a as a passive kind of watcher of everything that is very much the reader and telling the reader you are nick nick is your surrogate in this story you're just you're in and out and that you're only just passively watching all of this right and i think that's kind of the spot the part that's supposed to bum you out and the part that like when you finish you should be sad about the environment of things that we live in, that the book takes place in, and you should feel almost kind of bad about yourself. Not just because you realize that you're passive like Nick or that you're obsessed with something like Gatsby, but because almost just how ineffectual you are, like, as a person. Like, you... These bad things are happening and continue to happen, and you're not going to stop them. Just like Nick's not going to stop them. And when you're done with this book, you're not going to think, oh, how can I make my world a better place? You're going to move on to the next book. That is a good point. That is very cheery as well. Yeah, like I said, this is an extremely sad book. And I feel like it's sad because a lot of people miss it in their first, like, reading in high school. Any, I mean, any readings you have to do for class, you're not going to really enjoy them too much. But I feel like you could tell or kind of introduce this book and set the scene in such a way that it can become more interesting if you tell them, like, this is going to be a sad book. Like, there's not much But you'll hope. enjoy it, yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I guess that's a good question, too. Did you enjoy the book? I did. I did. I Especially, I think, the thing I enjoyed the most about it was the prose. Yeah. And, uh, and I enjoyed thinking about it. Like, like... You're, we're talking about a book that's actually, like, pretty uneventful, right? It's it's a lot of rich people getting together, drinking and having boring conversations at parties. Right. And other than the deaths in the book, there aren't many, like, parts that are too dramatic, right? So I think Fitzgerald does a really good job of making up for that with just good prose. Yeah, I don't think you could have bad... I mean, it's it would not be the same book if someone else had written it. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that you talk about the the only things that happen in it are people going to parties, going to different places, drinking, and having boring conversations. It, in that way, seems oddly poignant for high schoolers, because for some reason we all want to go to places and go to these parties and drink, and then when you look back on them, like, ten years later, you're thinking, why did I want to go to those high school parties we wanted to do it because uh we weren't supposed to want to do it because we weren't allowed to drink yet um, i guess so the same way that people started drinking more after prohibition i guess so yeah it's it's a weird parallel between like because i think when you read it in high school you think like yeah these are cool things who wouldn't want to be these people like they have these huge houses they have these cool cars all they do is hang out and drink they like have these great parties people dance it seems awesome, what's the problem? But I guess that's... I guess when you need to read books more than once. Right. 
We should we should have books like that too. I feel like one of the more poignant ones for that is anything by Salinger, because you have to read those in high school and you might like strongly relate to characters. And then... we'll definitely do Catcher in the Rye at some yeah. point. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one for that. Do you have any more notes on this one? Because I think I've gone through mine. I do want to add the Crash Course, mm-hmm. um, their literature segment. John Green did a like a two part video on The Great Gatsby. It's really worth a watch. Um, not that Crash Chords needs, needs help from us, because John and Hank Green have, like, a bunch of subscribers <laughs> and viewers, and yes. the production value on, on those videos is really good, though. They had a, a pretty good, sizable budget for that, and employees and stuff, so those are really interesting. He mentioned something uh, where he talks about, like, these books are full of symbolism um symbolism and you can go symbol hunting in these books right uh there's plenty of places to do that so um there's some synesthesia as well like flowers smell of gold voices sound like they're full of money right um and then for the symbolism the big one is like colors and the colors are green yellow and pale gold right um and these are like symbols of money, symbols of wealth, symbols of things that you're supposed to want and desire. Um, you know, the green light at the end of the bay. Right. Um, the gold car that Gatsby drives or yellow car that Gatsby drives. Um, but then they also become the symbol of death and de- decay. I guess so. I, I noticed that too when I was reading. I started taking notes on things about color. Um like yellow lines of windows and uh, the moon, a triangle of silver scales as it reflects into things. There is a lot of color. Um, The car was described as a rich cream color with green leather. Gatsby wore a caramel suit. I don't know that there's too much to be read into these things, but I mean, I guess the big one is the gold. I don't know that the green light needs to like symbolize anything necessarily besides that I guess you could say it's in some weird way that green and light is what we associate as go. Well, Nick Carraway literally talks about how he he remembers seeing Gatsby looking out at the bay at the green light. Right. Uh, um, and he realizes what Gatsby, like why he would do that. And, and he talks about how he wonders at a certain point if Gatsby even realizes that there's no point in like that the, the, the once he starts seeing Daisy, that the, the green light doesn't even mean the same thing to him anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, I don't know. You can go symbol hunting in this. I don't know how, mu- like, how much you want to. That's, that's up to the reader. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it depends on, like, what you want to get out of the book if you just want to get the plot or the prose. But yeah, I guess that's the good thing about books, though, is you can just, like, sit and pretty much pick them apart over the course of a month and find weird little things uh yeah i mean i guess i'm pretty much finished up with my notes the only thing yeah if you haven't been convinced to read this book there are just incredible prose throughout that should make you want to read it yeah my prose as the takeaway my final notes would be the prose were the most enjoyable part for me to read and then like then coming up it's very thought-provoking so then coming up with like things to talk about with you for the podcast right i mean i think that like the impressive thing is like the way that fitzgerald can like set scenes and like the way that he describes things and then i feel like he also has another way that he almost just says really simple things in profound ways and 
one of my favorites that I guess we can like wrap up on is that after Nick calls Jordan and basically tells her he's breaking up with her and she already says that she's engaged to someone else um, and calls him a bad driver. She, she says that she thought Nick was honest and straightforward. Nick's response was that he's five years too old to lie to himself and call it honor. And I feel like that one really stuck out to me as like the, the idea that you could, that that's kind of what people do. Is just lot of themselves and call, call it honor. honor. Yeah, like I said, there's probably a thousand quotes in this that kind of hit and make you feel uncomfortable, or at least made me feel uncomfortable as I read this, because just whether it's from Gatsby or Nick or Tom, I could like see just tiny parts of me in each of them and recognize like I've probably had that thought before, like I've probably lied to myself like that, and so. Read it for the pros and stick around for feeling bad about the world. Yeah. I think uh, I think we did a good job. 10 out of 10 pale yellow clown wagons. 10 out of 10? Yeah. I like it. I'm good.